Hi, and welcome to the Sailorville Church Podcast. My name is Abe Miller. I'm here with Jason, Jason Jackson. Jackson. Welcome. Yeah. Thank you, Abe. Great to be here. Appreciate it. Looking forward to, this is our actually our first time doing a podcast together, just the two of us like this, I think, right? We did one uh, when we were during the pandemic stuff, and we, I think we did it on Zoom or something, but this is the first time oh, in yeah. the studio, just yeah. you and me. Yeah. Yeah. This is an honor. I yeah. mean, you are the moderator. Yeah. I'm I call you, the, to. call you the potterator. <laughs> <laughs> trying to be. Trying to be. Um, yeah, so you preached you preached on Sunday mm-hmm. out of uh, Mark. Yep, Mark chapter 6, yep. story that's in all four of the Gospels. Yep, feeding of the 5,000. If you didn't get to listen to that, go ahead and listen to that. It's on YouTube. Great message. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, kind of dig into a couple deeper issues, talk about all your problems and your struggles with faith. And no, we're not going <laughs> to do This that, is no. counseling for me. Yeah. <laughs> so go ahead, ask me the questions. <laughs> Yeah, so um, one of the one of the first things that you had mentioned in the message was talking about rest and Sabbath and break away before you break apart, yeah, something like that. And you said one of the things in there about not, um, you know, saying no. Maybe yeah. you have to say no, which I know got some feedback from I know in our group, our community group that we mm-hmm. talked about. Um, so give give a little bit of a little bit of context of the message kind of where it went with the feeding of the 5,000, and then then go into that first question there about the rest and the Sabbath and saying no, and then we'll talk a little bit more about the Sabbath. Yeah, great question. So the context of the passage, at least in Mark chapter 6, is, you know, it's, it's, we call it the feeding of the 5,000. It's probably a lot more than 5,000. We just say there's 5,000 because there's 5,000 men. Um, but the disciples have just come back from their... You know, I kind of picture it as their missions trip. They've been sent out two by two by Jesus to essentially preach the kingdom and to heal and do, do miracles and call people to repentance. And they're on their way back from that. They get the news that John the Baptist had been beheaded by, by Herod. And so they swing by Herod's place. They grab John the Baptist's body and they, they bury it. Now, John the Baptist was a massive spiritual hero to a lot of these guys. And, of course, Jesus cousin as well, who, who prepared the way in so many ways for Jesus and, and for his ministry. And so they come back uh, from their missions trip. I just picture them tired and worn out in a good way. I mean, they've had people, people, people. They've seen God do amazing things through them and their preaching and healing and all that stuff. And uh, then, they, then they have to bury one of their heroes, and they show up to Capernaum with Jesus, and they just want to, like, share everything with Jesus. This is what happened. And, you know, they're, I, I, again, I picture them like really just bubbling over, but they're emotional. They're sad and they're happy. And it's this emotional roller coaster from what's happened. And, um, and Jesus says, Hey, let's just, let's just take a, a rest. Let's just go to what, what he calls a desolate place and rest for a little while, because there's just people, 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 people all the time. And they don't even have a chance to eat. The Bible says. And so Jesus, I think looks at them. He recognizes their need and his need too. He was God, man, and says, let's just get away and and rest. And so as I read through that, uh, you know, and in my own life, maybe this is a lot of my own life shining through here too, <laughs> but um, there are honestly times when uh, when I think I need to be reminded that it's, that it's okay to say no to people. Now, that's a scary thing because, you know, this is Jesus, and and Jesus did some things that we can't do or did things in ways that we can't do them. And so we have to be careful making one-on-one um, correlations there. But 
But Jesus looked at these human beings, these disciples, apostles, and said, you, you guys need to come away with me. Not just go away, not just get away to a vacation or a break, but come with me to a place. And I think there's something there to like rest with Jesus. Um, and then some of the, you know, some of the struggles or the, the, maybe the, the confusion in our own minds is, yeah, but aren't we called to love people? And do we ever send people away? Like we find the disciples trying to do a little bit later in the story. Mm-hmm. And what's the right time to say no to people and the right time to say yes to people? And, uh, you know, I think it's a wisdom thing. I, I think we are called to, like Paul told Timothy, take care of yourself and your teaching. Um, and that way you'll, people around you will, will be saved, saved from, you know, your unhealthy self, saved from teaching that's maybe not true because you've sort of lost it and, and maybe even just saved spiritually. So I think there is a, a case for taking care of yourself and um, being the healthiest you. I, I, I guess in my own life, I want to be careful that we don't just tell people it's okay to burn out for Jesus because then there'll just be somebody else that comes up behind you. And I've lived that. I I wouldn't say I've ever burned out, but I've been on the edge of like, Oh my goodness, I'm not sure I can do this very much longer in the same way. So I think there's a motivation in, in ourselves when we look at this is my identity in being the savior, small s people come to me for help. People come to me for advice. People come to me for answers. And, um, I'm taking Jesus's job if I think that that I'm the only one that can do that. Not only should I be pointing people to Jesus, but there's also other people around me that can help. There are times when I just need to say, "I'm sorry, not I'm not the guy for you right now." Yeah. And we also, by the way, see Jesus right after this story. He does get away. He he does go by himself to pray. So even though he said, "Take a break," and then all, the thousands of people follow him and all the rest of the story. He does still get away afterwards and tells the disciples that's a good thing to do too. Yeah, that that is not something that is necessarily celebrated in our culture, right? Like, sure. hey, you should you really need to take a break. Yeah. You should get away and just it, it's most of the time is hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Yep. What are you getting done? What are you accomplishing? Or everyone's like, Oh, I'm really busy, I'm really busy, and it's not something that we actually like keep tabs on each other or help each other with like, dude, you need to take a break, you know? And yeah. so you said like, I've been in those moments where like, I've, I've been at the brink maybe. The, yeah. Maybe close to it. Close I, to it. Right. I, I mean, what, what, what are some of those warning signs? I mean, that would be, Hey, I, I probably need to take a break. I mean, are there things that you've encountered in your own heart and soul when you've come to those points? Sure. I, you know, first of all, you, you have to know yourself and you're not always honest with yourself because Satan lies to you in, in your own voice, right? So you you believe a lot of what Satan says because it sounds like you. Um, <laughs> but you have to know yourself. And for me, when I um, when I find myself really craving affirmation from people, I'm, I, I think I'm a helper and I think I'm a nice guy and I think I want to... You, you know, are a nice guy. Thank you, Abe. I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> see, there you go. I'm fishing for affirmation right there. <laughs> so just proving my point. Um, but when people say good job on something or, wow, that was really insightful or whatever, then, you know, I can feel myself at times starting to get like, oh man, I want more of that. And if I can do something that this person says good job and then turn around and do something this person says good job, then I start really feeling like I need to just keep doing this because it makes me feel good. And the more I do that, the busier I get and the more unhealthy it really is because now affirmation 
has become an idol or um, pride has become my uh, my driving force. And I, I don't want to say that about myself, but that that is true. So most of the time I look back and see when I failed in that. I want to be to the point where I start to feel those triggers like, ooh, I kind of, oh, I know what that is. That's pride. I need to stop that. Or when someone says, hey, we need somebody to help with, like my my first deal is, I'll, I'll help with that because I want to be the guy that's helping. I want to mm-hmm. be the guy that's the answer. I want to be the guy that's the savior, small s. And um, I, I want to be to the place in my life where I recognize that. And honestly, you're one of those guys that, like we have those conversations, right? We we want to. You have to have community around you. You've got to have people around you to exhort you, to call you out, to encourage you, um, because you might not always see it in yourself. So, those are some of the triggers. My, yeah. I can feel my heart getting like that. I can feel my head getting bigger. I can feel when I start to chase after, attaboys, affirmation, whatever. Yeah. And you feels made, good. You made a comment too about something along the lines of like it's not just necessarily like rest, but it's like Sabbath yeah. with the Lord, right? Yeah. Like it's not just like, well, I'm gonna get away and just like go on vacation, but like really resting in the Lord and having like communion with the Lord. I I, th- I think of that uh that book by John Mark Kelmer, the yep. Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, yep. which, you know, he's he goes into a lot of that yeah, of he does. what that looks like for him, which is I don't, I don't do what he does, but it's a whole other way to look at what does that really mean to have communion with the Lord and just stop and like, which we're terrible at, right? <laughs> well, we don't like to stop. We don't want to stop because yeah. we let voices in. We let stuff start going. If we stay busy, we don't have to deal with it. And I think ultimately, a, at least in my life, and maybe I'm not the only one, but for me, it's an identity thing. If I don't have anything to do, I feel like I'm not being valuable to someone or to an organization or whatever, or to a group of people. And so I have to find stuff to do. Now, I'm a doer, and I like to stay active and stuff like that, but um, but that's different. I, when my identity is in being busy, or and when I look at my calendar and I see, you know, it's full, 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 and I feel good about that, like, ooh, I'm, I must be valuable to a bunch of people because I'm so busy right mm-hmm. now. I don't want to get to the point, and, and I am there sometimes, but I want to catch myself before I get to the point of, Hey, how you doing? I'm busy. And that makes me feel really good. But as guys, maybe, or maybe in our Western American culture, I don't know. That's just kind of like the answer we give. Hey, how are things going? Ah, man, I'm super busy. Well, that's like a, that's like a badge of honor for us. To me, in my world, that comes down to pride. I'm busy. Ooh, wow. That guy's important. He's so busy. Well, if my identity is in Christ, which is this Ephesians series we, we got done with just before this one, right? Ephesians one, basically. My identity is in Christ and who he's made me and what he's done for me, then my identity isn't in what I can do for Christ. That's a massive, there's a massive difference in how I react and interact with people if my identity is in Christ rather than I'm just frantically, urgently, chaotically trying to be everybody's savior. Yeah. That's just sort of my heart. I don't know if anybody else is there. No, I agree. I mean, I'm totally there. I mean, I look at what I got done, right? That's what I accomplished. That's what I can look at my list, which I'm a list guy. Like, ooh, look what sure. I got done. And and that is what is um, celebrated a lot of times. What did you accomplish? What did you get done? Most people don't say like, well, I got to spend two hours just sitting in solitude, reading and thinking and praying. Like that's not, it's not really talked about. It's not really yeah. celebrated of, um, especially in ministry. I mean, like, no, let's go. We got to get stuff done. So I think it. 
it's almost the opposite of celebrated. I don't know what the word is there, but <laughs> it's decelebrated. <laughs> you know, if you if you came to me, you know, this afternoon and said, uh, "Hey, I, I spent an hour by the lake just reading the Bible," I'd be like, "Okay, do you not have enough to do around here? I mean, how do you have time right. to spend an hour?" Right. Well, wait a minute. What if that's the most important time of the day? Is the time when you're spending time with resting Sabbath mm-hmm. with the Lord. I think it is John Mark Cormer who says that rest is rest is a weapon. If if we don't have rest, and I'm talking again true rest, like soul level Sabbath, not just take a nap once in a while or whatever, but rest with Jesus, we're almost useless. Almost useless. And we've celebrated this whole burnout culture where a couple people do everything and they burn out and then we get somebody else to step in and they burn out and we that's okay, we've got somebody else. What if instead of burning people out, we just said, hey, it's time for Sabbath, stay healthy, somebody else can jump in alongside of you. And instead of pointing to just a few people, we, we spread the blessing of the burden of work, ministry, people, out to more people. And uh, then everybody's a little bit healthier, I think. Yeah. Okay, so let's, let's kind of talk about the kind of the main part of the message, right? We're talking about, <laughs> talking about faith. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and then you kind of walk through quickly those four, those four different characters and the idea of faith. And then, and then even just, we use the word faith a lot. We used it a lot in the message on Sunday, but what does that actually mean when, when we look at life and, and, and we say live by faith or step out in faith. You know, we don't say step back in faith. We say step forward, take a leap of faith, step out in faith. What does that actually mean? So give us a little bit of context of those four things and we'll dig into that. Yeah, so you've got the, you know, all, the, all these people that keep coming to Jesus. Jesus says, let's take a break with the disciples. They get under a boat. They, they sail about six, eight miles away on the shores of the Sea of Galilee to a little fishing village called Bethsaida. Uh, they get out, and as they get out, all these people are still on the shore. And so Jesus looks at them with compassion. He, the Bible says they were like to him. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. And uh, Jesus looks at the disciples, says, hey, what are we going to do with these people? They come to him and say, it's late. Everybody's hungry. And he says, well, what's your solution? And they say, send the people away. You know, And the, the inference, and maybe this is a little bit of my imagination or, or, or my, um, my cynicism or whatever, I... It sounds to me, it seems to me like they're just annoyed with the people. Like, hey, <laughs> you know, we came on this vacation with you, Jesus, and now we have to share you with like 20,000 people. And we just, we need that break that you promised us kind of thing. So send them away to go get food. We can't do anything about it. And uh, then one of them finds a little boy that has five loaves, two fish, brings them to Jesus. Jesus takes that and blesses it and then distributes it among the people. And so in, in as I was looking through this, I... Again, this is my own life, so so maybe hope maybe somebody else is learning something from this, like like I did. But primarily in my own life, it's the the faith of the crowd, which was to me it, it seemed like a really convenient kind of faith. We're going to follow Jesus, but then John says they fo- they followed Jesus because they wanted a sign, especially yeah. signs of healing. You know, they he, Jesus was doing signs on the sick, and so they had seen him do that. They'd seen the disciples, the apostles, do that, and so. To me, the inference there is that they were just following him because they wanted what he could do for them, sort of a convenient faith, or a faith that was contingent on what he could do for them. And once he stopped doing those things, or once they didn't need him to do those things, they were gone. In fact, a little bit later, things get a little bit tough, and most of those people ditch him anyway, right? 
And then you've got Philip, who Jesus looks at Philip and says, uh, okay, Philip, so you're from around here. Uh, what do you think we should do to get all these people fed? And Philip's like, well, this costs like almost a year's wage to feed all these people just a tiny little bit, so send them away, you know. And I connect with that because that, that to me sounds like a calculated faith. Philip wasn't wrong. He, he had the numbers right. I mean, he, he was calculating all of the <laughs> money that, it would, that they would need, all the food that they would need, and looked at it from a human logical perspective and said, uh, Jesus, we, don't, like, we can't do this. I mean, wait, we can't cater in. We don't, nobody has enough food for this. We don't even have enough money. If we did have enough money, there's no, there's nothing where, no place where we could buy all this food, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. Philip's like, I, I don't see how this is going to happen. Well, Jesus asked him because he, Jesus knew what he was about to do. And it was to test Philip's faith. And then we find Andrew who comes up, and we don't know a ton about Andrew. Um, he's not super loud. He's not super preachy. He's not one of those guys that's always like on stage or in the in the spotlight like his brother Peter, you know. So maybe there's a little bit of that younger brother syndrome. I don't know, but Andrew has a cautious faith. He's the guy that we're told finds the boy, and introduces the boy to Jesus and says, "Here's Jesus says how how much how much food do we have?" And Andrew says, well, we've got this. We at least have this, you know. But to me, he comes across as a little bit cautious. Again, he, it's, it's, this is going to be really difficult, Jesus. But here's, you asked, so here's what we've got. It's, it's just a little bit, but you ask, so here you go. It's at least more than what Philip had, right? Philip's like, send him away. Andrew right. goes, well, right. I don't know what this is going to look like, but here's, here's a snack. And then, again, just to me, you have this little boy where, you know, we're told to have faith like a child. He shows up. He's got a snack that his mom gave him, and it's maybe enough for him, but certainly not for a couple people to share. And I just love this image in my mind of him. Andrew kind of nudges him towards Jesus, and he opens up his, you know, basket or his sack or his hands or whatever, and he says, well, here you go, Jesus. I mean, you, mom gave it to me, but you can, you can have it. And I think... To me, what what we're not told is really important too. The the boy, like kids, are always like mine, mine, mine. I mean, we have to tell every kid to share yeah. all the time, right? Yeah. So here's a kid that comes up, and you don't have to tell him to share. He never says, "No, that's mine. Sorry, you can't have it." And my guess is there are other people there that had food. I mean, my goodness, there's thousands of people, and most of them had moms, and most moms would send their kid or or their husband with the lunch, right? So he's just the one I think that was willing. And uh, there's a great example in that kid of what I would call a complete faith. And so I think we relate with one of those one of those four, and maybe multiple of the four, depending on what day it is and how we're responding and reacting. Yeah. One, one of the, we can't talk about all of them, but like the compassion one, like seeing yeah. people, how Jesus sees people, like that will change the way we look at individuals having compassion. I know that resonated with a lot of people. And, um, I know I resonated with the, um, the idea of like, yeah, this is, we don't have enough money and we don't have enough food. Jesus, like send them away. Like I, they can come back tomorrow. I don't know, but like, you know, so like having compassion, I could see myself in that situation there. But, um, how, how do, I think everybody would agree with that statement. Yeah, I know I need to see them like Jesus, but man, I have a really hard time being compassionate to people, especially when they like tick me off or they're frustrating or it's like, oh my goodness. I know like we talked about it 
uh, the other night in our community group about mm. um, like I, we were talking about who do how do we struggle with people and I'm like man sometimes I don't have a lot of compassion for Christians because I expect them to act a certain way right yeah. like hey you're a Christian and like man why are you doing this like this is you know better like come on you know and it, like I have no compassion for them or <laughs> no patience for them <laughs> or like a really arrogant someone's really arrogant I'm just like oh man I do not have compassion for you like how how do we actually go through that process to look at people through the lens of like Jesus looked at them. I mean, how, do, how do we do that? Yeah, that's a great question. I think some one that's super, super practical because if we want to be, <clears throat> excuse me, people of compassion, we have to ask that question. How can I be more compassionate or compassionate at all, right? Everybody's a little compassionate. I mean, no, nobody's, no, nobody's 100% apathetic towards everybody. Those are like psychopaths, right? Yeah. <laughs> everybody has a little bit of compassion. But how do we have more compassion or to be compassionate like Jesus was, for instance? I, I don't know. I, I think there's a couple things there. Number one, realize who we are, first of all, and that is that we are desperate sinners that we're far away from God, and God sent his son Jesus to, to die for us because God had compassion on us. Um, for his glory, he called us to himself. So he had compassion on us through nothing that we've done. So God saw us not as worthy because we're some incredible human being, me or you or, or anybody, but because, um, because he had compassion on us like sheep without a shepherd, like we saw in this story. So I, I think the number one thing is to realize, those of us that are believers, Christians, true believers, what we've been saved from and why we needed to be saved, because we are desperate sinners. Right. So when we look at other people through the lens of, I'm a sinner, I was called out of a sinful being, in, in into salvation, into the light, then I think that's a humble kind of lens that we look at other people through. So immediately, there's a humility there. Now, because compassion is love in action, we I think we have to practice it. And we, you know, we it's sort of like a muscle, you get better at it, you build it, and the more you do it well, the, the more, uh, the better you get at it. So I think the first thing is, how do you see yourself? And then the next one is just really practicing looking at other people as Jesus would. So um, for me, like I drive through my neighborhood or, or I've even got this mental image in my mind of our house and then the three people that live right across the road from us. So that's three. Then next to us, that's four. Then the three that live behind us, that's uh, what, five, six, seven. And then eight next to us on the other side. So, so what is that? Three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So I've got eight people that are literally my neighbors. John Emmers helped me think through this, and he and I both read a book called The Art of Neighboring and talks a lot about this. So how am I seeing those physical neighbors? When I drive into the neighborhood, right. what am I seeing when they're out? What am I seeing when their garage door opens? What am I seeing when we cross? Am I seeing a guy that, you know, just had a fight with his wife that I'm like, oh, man, they got issues? Or am I seeing a guy that, you know, is divorced? Or am I seeing a guy that drinks too much? Or am I seeing a guy that doesn't mow his grass? Or am I seeing them as sheep without a shepherd? Boy, those people spiritually are needy. That's something I need to practice. But I think it is something that we can get better at. And then, honestly, just do something about it. So realize who we are and, who, and what God saved us from. See people spiritually, and then just start to move toward the mess. Roll up your sleeves and try to point people to Jesus by, by meeting some of those practical needs. That's compassion. That's the action of love of love in action. Yeah, 
That's really good. I mean, it is it is like Christianity 101, but yet it seems so difficult at times because yeah. it goes back to the busy thing, right? Yeah. We've got an agenda. We have stuff we got to get done. We have things we want to do. We have things we want to accomplish. And we, I've often thought about like on a mission trip, I remember taking kids sure. on a mission trip and it was like, okay, we're going to walk around. We're going to share the gospel with people and sit down and like, and that was the whole intent of the trip was to be out there ministering to people like we're here to serve we're here to love you know and then we go back to reality and it's like okay i got stuff to do now and i'm busy and and then you just like start blowing by people and yeah. you don't see them right you don't see them as jesus sees them you see them as a obstacle you see them as a distraction you see them as a time waste and yeah you just don't have the compassion that's that's a great that's a great illustration the same person that we walk by every day or that we drive by every day, or that we work next to every day, and don't see as a spiritually needy person. If we're on a missions trip, there is like all kinds of boldness, all kinds of, hey, I'm so-and-so, and let me tell you about Jesus, or whatever. I mean, yeah, yeah. You, you're expected to do that, and you expect to do that. But that exact same person could be next to you every single day, and we don't. I don't. So we have to get better at that, and we can get better at that as we become more like Jesus. Yeah. Really dying, dying to self on, uh, on some level, right? Where yeah. wake up in the morning and say, okay, Lord, who do you have for me today? Yeah. Who am I going to minister? Yeah. Who am I going to talk to? Getting coffee, going to the gas station, grocery store, yep. coworkers, whatever. I mean, yep. neighbors. That's, that's a great, that's a great point too. pray about it. I mean, God, who, who we've got a guy in our small group who um, he's just such a great example of this. He said, every day I wake up and I say, God, put somebody into my life that needs you today. And almost every week when we when we meet for our community group, he's like, hey, you'll never guess what happened this week. Yeah. God brought so-and-so into my life, and we had this conversation. And I'm like, how in the world are you having all these conversations? He goes, I just, I just ask God to bring people in front of me. And then when God does, which he will, he takes those opportunities. Not perfect, but when he prays about it, God answers that prayer, and then he has the opportunity to have compassion on that person. And here's one last thing. Hang out with somebody that's awkwardly compassionate. I mean, like, find somebody that is super compassionate and even so much so that makes you uncomfortable <laughs> and, like, hang out with them a little bit. <laughs> and hopefully that'll rub off on you mm. and you'll realize, actually, I, I can be compassionate too. But those people are really annoying sometimes because they're just so, <laughs> so compassionate. Nice. <laughs> You're too nice. You're too nice. You're kind of like this. This, oh, is yeah. why, this is why we're friends. <laughs> I get, I get uh, accused of that all the time. My compassion just oozes out of me. <laughs> It really does, but in a different way. So <laughs> there you, you go. Thank you. Uh, okay, so the other one, the other one was the um, the the uh, well, the cautious faith, right? So stepping out in faith, that, that whole idea of being cautious. That was Andrew, right? Yeah. Um, here again, Christianity one hundred and one. We should be we should be stepping out in faith. We should be living by faith. But there's this. There's this um, mentality of being, I'm afraid. Mm -hmm. I want safety. Mm -hmm. I want security. And I don't want to, I'm fearful. I'm fearful of what could be stepping yeah. out there. So there again, talk a little bit about that of how do, how do we overcome that? What, what's at the, what's at the heart of that? Um, and how, how do we become more courageous at the end of the day? It's a great question. I, I don't know that these two things are, are opposites or always in juxtaposition, but I think fear and faith, there's a big difference. And maybe they are in some ways opposites, right? 
fear at its heart is probably a control thing, probably a pride thing, probably I'm I'm it's more than nervous, it's more than concerned. I'm I'm actually fearful. It leads to anxiety, it leads to all kinds of all kinds of stuff that you know that we, we even see in our world right now. But in in my world, when I when I get fearful or when I would say I'm fearful of something, it's a control deal. I feel like something is out of my control, and so I'm trying to claw back at it. And if I can't, then I get afraid, anxious, nervous, concerned, depressed, even whatever. So I think, I think the opposite, in some ways, I don't know if it's a direct opposite, but in some ways, the opposite of that is faith. I can't control this. Even if I could, I shouldn't. I need to have faith in someone that, that not only can control it, but also loves me and has as his chief aim his own glory. And to me, that's a much better solution than me trying to control it. Now, I'm saying that, realizing that that, like, I don't always live my life like that, right? I want to, but I want to, um, I want to practice that letting go. I want to practice that intentionally laying my plans, my finances, my family, my future, my job, my whatever, in front of God saying, Hey, I, you may not be asking for me to do anything different with this stuff right now, but I just want you to know that I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do with this stuff. And then actually being willing if he says, I'm telling you, you need to go this direction or you need to let this go or you need to give whatever. I think the willingness is, is key there. So fear, you know, the antidote yeah. is, is faith maybe. And, and for faith, the, the poison there is, is living in fear. Yeah, the the control, like I resonate with the control part of trying to control the situation. I I know we had a conversation in our group last night too about the, there's like the, there's like the faith and action, like to people and like ministering to people, like the neighbors and the coworkers and the people you run into. And then there's also like the, I don't know what you call it, but like the behind the scenes fear or the behind the scenes faith where, where like with my kids, right? Okay, Lord, do I have faith that you're, yeah. you've got them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have any control over my kids. Yeah. At the end of the day, like, man, I, I'm going to do my best as a parent, but like, do I have faith that God, or do I have to control that, right? Yeah. Do I have faith in some of these, I don't know, like the behind the scenes stuff that really nobody really knows about because it's maybe you don't even talk about it, but it's just like, no, I've got to have an answer. I've got to, you know, I'm the calculated one. It's got to be like, I got to have an answer. I got to have an answer. I got to have an answer. And yet God's saying like, no, are you, you know, opening up your hands and saying, no, they're not the, it's my money. It's my kids. It's my spouse. It's not, it's not mine. It's God's right. And see that. So that's the perfect lens to have. And we struggle with that. Right. But God, everything that we have comes from God in the first place. We know that we know that mentally. Um, We don't act like that sometimes. Even unbelievers, everything they have comes from God too, right? They just maybe don't acknowledge it. Um, but we need to understand that God has given us everything that we have. God owns everything. So what's our responsibility? It, it's to invest, which is an important word, not just to spend and not even just to give, but to invest what he's given us temporarily. You live, you know, 30, 50, 80, 100 years. It's still temporary in eternity. To invest what he's given us temporarily into things that make an eternal difference. We, we talk about generosity here. I think that's, that's the key to, to being generous. But the heart behind that is 
is faith. If I'm a controlling or a fearful person, I don't want to open up my hands and say, well, God, you you take it, because I think I'm better at right. taking care of myself or my family. The great irony is that we don't ever have control yeah. anyway. So you brought up kids and family. Yeah, like I have an eight-year-old. I can't control, I can, I can discipline him and I can, you know, force him into his room and I can, you know, do all kinds of like really weird things. But ultimately, I can't control his heart. And that's what we're talking about here. So we, we have this illusion of control. And when we start to lose our concept of holding on to that control, that's when we get fearful. And the truth is we don't ever have control in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. Um, just closing up here, the, 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 you talked about the little boy at the end, the complete <laughs> faith, and you know how he gives, gives the, yeah. the fish and the, the bread to Jesus. Um, and you had talked about, you know, like, what do you have to offer? Yeah. Uh, and I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people are, I don't know if I have, I don't know what I have to offer. Right. I'm, I'm not, I'm not super confident in maybe who God made me. I don't know what I can do. I'm not a preacher. I'm not this like ministry person or I'm not super articulate. Yeah. How, how do, you know, but then you talk about the body of Christ, right? And every, every part of the body of Christ is super important. And God made each individual person, a part of the body to make the body complete. Mm-hmm. And we, and we hurt when people, we hurt, the body hurts when parts of the body aren't actually functioning like they should. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about that about just like how do how do people live that out and say hey god here's here's whatever i have to offer i don't even know what i have to offer but i want to and i want to be a part of it and i want to be an encouragement i want to live by faith yep i love that i mean it is one of my favorite parts of the story and i i'm using my imagination a little bit but i picture this kid coming up and just opening his hands up and saying yeah I, this isn't much but jesus you you can have it so we've got two things that show us right there that like little is big when when God's in it, right? <laughs> uh, you've got a little boy, probably eight, nine, maybe ten years old, ar- around all these adults, five thousand men, and and who comes up with the food? It it's a little boy, right? And I, and I can just picture like all these guys trying to fix things and trying to calculate it and trying to figure out well, who are you know this boy like walks up with Andrew in between all of them, <laughs> and you know here he is a little boy and God uses and then he's got just a little bit of food. He doesn't have like a whole basket full of food yeah. that he brought for you know big big group of people or whatever, and Jesus uses that. God blesses the little and makes it big when we give it to him in faith. And so I think that's a perfect illustration of what, what God has given us. I mean, we, we are broken people. We are weak people. God uses the weak to, to, to impact the world. God uses people that aren't super smart from a human perspective, aren't super good looking, aren't super wealthy, aren't super whatever when it comes to eternity. And God uses those types of people. Yeah. God uses the other kind too. But what we hear more is, well, God could never use me. I don't really have any skills or talents or abilities. God created you. God created you in his image. You, you have something that he's given you. You have a lot of somethings. So whether that's just simple things like your, your, your talents, you may think you're not good at anything, but you are good at something. You're great with people or you're a great writer, or you are a good speaker, or you're great with numbers, or you're great with organization, or you're great with, I don't know, whatever. God can use that when you open up your hands and say, I don't know, God, if there's any way you could use this, but here you go. And I'm not talking about 
being a you know full-time overseas missionary or being on staff right. at a church or something but you know it's a single mom that is is just opening up a devotional along with the bible every morning with their kids and just sharing like one verse with them yeah that's well that's not that's not enough no that's enough that's little that in the hands of god is big you have no idea what that could mean in the long run and yeah, I, th- I think we've celebritized or we've magnified some of those external types of talents and gifts and, you know, things. And I, I think there's a whole lot of people out there that um, are just waiting to be encouraged. And we've talked about this, but to, to look at somebody and say, I, I see in you yeah. really, really great things. God didn't make a mistake when he made you. There's something there. And I just would love for you to come along with me and try to, you know, fill in the blank and yep. see what God does with it. Yeah, that's really good. He used a little boy. I mean, that that's that that's like a slap in the face to guys like Philip or like me, who are like, ah, no, nothing could ever happen here. We don't have enough food or time or energy or restaurants or anything. And here comes this little boy, and he's like, I don't know. What, could we do something with this? <laughs> so I I don't know. I think there's something there, at least in my in my yeah. own world, there is. Yeah, I love that. I think I think I think the church and Christians need to hear that more than I think we talk about. Cause I think it is like you said, the celebrity you've got to be some, you've got to be this certain thing or a great teacher or communicator to be used of God. And it's just, I love that. I love that passage. Uh, I think it's in first Corinthians 12 where, you know, it talks about the, 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 the lesser yeah. gifts yeah. are the ones that we should build up and yeah. we should like praise even more so than the public ones, mm-hmm. which is not, that's not how we do things really yeah. a lot of times. But I, I I love what you said about like man those even those little things can make a huge difference. You just have no idea. You have no idea your your word of encouragement, your prayer, your helping somebody, holding a door open for somebody. Like we just have no idea. Uh, but but that's a mindset, right? It's a mindset that changes to say like I could be a blessing to somebody. I could be an encouragement to somebody. I don't know how you're going to use it, God, but I'm going to step out in faith, and hopefully you're going to use this little thing to make a big deal we just have like you said before too about your neighbors you just have no idea what people are going through yeah you don't know what kind of crazy day they had and for someone to show them some sort of love and some sort of compassion mm-hmm. <laughs> on some level mm-hmm. like just could make a huge difference massive we just yeah. don't know yeah so meredith my wife and i were talking about this this morning um she she, uh, she got saved during vbs you know like 36 years ago or whatever, when she's five years old or something. And uh, the woman that led her to Christ uh, was an older woman in her church and wasn't, wasn't spectacular in any kind of human way. Wasn't a, you know, upfront kind of person. Didn't, you know, have the greatest voice or anything, but was just a helper in VBS. And when, when she was teaching, uh, Meredith raised her hand and had a question and this older woman took her aside, took her outside to the parking lot, actually, and shared Christ with her. And the, the woman passed away a number of years ago. We sort of don't know anything else about her, except that there was a moment in time when she said something little and was faithful, and God turned that into something much, something huge mm-hmm. in my wife's life and, yeah. you know, the legacy and, and all the rest of that stuff. Yeah. And all of us have stories like that where we've seen God take the the mustard seed and move mountains. We've seen God take the the tears of baby Moses and deliver a, a, a you know, a nation. Um, the Bible's full of stories like that. That's yeah. why I love this story. It's like yeah. such a great illustration of what God has done all, all over the place. 
Yeah, really good. Thanks, thanks for preaching it. Thanks for giving us some insight into the different the different characters. It was really fun to be able to go through that, and it's a great question to ask. Like, which one am I of yeah. these? Right, where am I at in that? Even ask people that you know, like, hey, what do you see in me? Like, where? Yeah, that's where great. am I? You know, am I am I cautious? Am I am I too calculated? Yeah, am I? Do I have compassion? I mean, those are some great questions for some self evaluation while we're having some Sabbath, while we're resting. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for stopping by. Appreciate it. Thank you.